Hello, and welcome to the Be Brave podcast series. In this series, our host, Allison Pickens, Chief Operating Officer at Gainsight, interviews heroes from around our community, such as servant leaders who are paving the way for others through their action and mentorship, voyagers who have decided to take a leap of faith and help pave the way for others through their actions and decisions, and reformers who will share their stories of reformation both in their company and communities and provide useful tips on how you can face adversity head on. In this episode, Allison sits down with Pam Costa, Chief Executive Officer at AllRays. Pam, welcome to the Be Brave campaign. I'm so excited to have you on for this episode. Thank you for having me. So to get started, can you tell us a little bit about what AllRays is? Yeah, so AllRays is a startup nonprofit, and we we call ourselves that for a specific reason. We run ourselves like a startup, um, although we are nonprofit by financial structure. And our mission in life is to accelerate the success of female founders and funders so that we can have a more profitable and equitable uh, tech system. And everything we do is to provide guidance, support, and access to either female uh, females in venture capital or women founders to make sure that they are having the opportunity to succeed. We'd say they are always the rock stars. We are just the rocket fuel and kind of their support crew beneath them. Love that. Um, but to give them the opportunity to succeed and really change the face of technology. And our goal is to rewire how the tech industry operates from the inside out. Um, so taking people who are in positions of power and influence, both male and female, um, and have them create opportunities for women coming up um, through the ranks. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to dive into that mission. Uh, but before we get into that organization itself and what it stands for, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. How did you get to become CEO of All Race? Uh, you know, it's a circuitous process as these things always are. It wasn't like I grew up saying, I'm going to be the CEO of All Race. All Race wasn't, couldn't have even existed several years ago, in all honesty. Um, it was really the wake of the Me Too movement. And I am a startup girl and just was going through startup to startup to startup. I finished my last startup and was sitting there contemplating, what do I want to do with my next 10 to 15 years in Silicon Valley? Yeah. Where's the impact that I want to make? And someone approached me and said, do you want to be CEO of a, have you ever considered being CEO of a nonprofit? And I said, no, nah, I'm really like a startup girl. Like that's not my, that's just not who I am. And then I said, but stop. This, there's this thing called all raise. And I said, oh, all raise. I know all raise. I mean, I don't know how you can be a woman in tech and not know all raise. I've been following it for forever. I did not know that they were looking for a CEO. But the universe kept on putting all raise in front of me. And I was at a point in my life where I wanted to be very mission aligned in what I did in tech. Um, I had become aware that I had done something that some women, like very few women had done, which was become a CEO of an enterprise software company. That's not a common thing. Yeah. Like you, you've done it, um, but there's too few of us. Um, and so I really was trying to get back to the community, but I was noticing the things that I was doing felt like little drops in a very big ocean. Yeah. And so along came all rays and I said, oh my gosh, I can make the if I can help grow this as a startup um, into the movement that it needs to become, the impact will be enormous for us going forward. So that's amazing. And nine a nine month interview process or six month interview process. Wow! And here I am. <laughs> that's in the chair. Yeah, 
they've got a really important cause. So they've got to be thoughtful yeah. about the leader that they pick. You know, in, in Silicon Valley, I find sometimes, and just, you know, making myself vulnerable, that there's so much discussion about the latest hot thing, whether it's a trend or a company, the place essentially where you can make the most money. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we all get recruiter calls and often like the way the recruiter pitches you is they say like, this is a super lucrative opportunity. You'd be crazy to pass it up. Um, you have an incredible background. So I'm sure you get, you know, all sorts of calls like that. How did you decide, you know, I'm going to pass up this pitch that someone's giving me that, you know, I could make tens of millions of dollars or something by joining this latest hot company. And how did you choose to sort of wave that away for at least for the moment and and do something more mission oriented? You know, we all have the same factors that we want in a job and we just stack rank them differently. And I feel like I had a chance to make money. Um, I'm not super fabulously wealthy, but I had a chance to make some money and that it was just becoming more important to me to be mission aligned and so that mission alignment, that cause of what am I doing every day? How am I feeling about getting up um, and getting excited? It wasn't about money motivation anymore, but it was about impact. And there was no offer I was getting. I, I looked at health tech. I looked at things where I thought, okay, I can be doing greater good and having social impact. But there was none that came in at where All Rays came in. And so that's really, it was a... It was a non-issue. It was a non, it it didn't even occur to me to say like, oh, I shouldn't do this. I thought this is just the most intriguing opportunity. The caliber of the individuals that I can work with, um, the team that's around me, this is going to inspire me to get out of bed every day in a way that a big paycheck doesn't always inspire you to get out of bed every day. Absolutely. I love the way that it was just so obvious to you that you were going to prioritize purpose and mission over, you know, other items that people often have in their checklist. I think a lot of people would actually look at you and say, that was a brave decision, right? For you, you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm just being myself. So I, I think that's, that's pretty, um, that's noteworthy. You know, I, I'd say there's there's potentially, um, from an external perspective, another risk that maybe you took in taking on this role, which is that um, it's a provocative thing to say that this industry needs to change. You're trying to change behaviors um, of the people around you. Did anyone tell you, like, oh, do you really want to be doing this? Do you oh, want yeah. to take that risk? <laughs> I had plenty, plenty of people in my network who scratched their heads and said, I'm not really sure why you're doing this. You're going to, uh, a lot of it was around nonprofit or you're wasting your talents or is this really a thing? Like this has been around for forever. Do you really think you're going to help solve this problem? There's a lot of questions that came at me from that perspective. Um, my answer always was everything you're saying sounds like something that you could say to any entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Are you really going to do X, Y, Z to disrupt this industry? Are you really, all of those questions seem to me to be the same thing. And I was like, this just isn't tapping into your personal ethos. This is not your social impact cause. This is not your mission, but it was kind of a warning shot across the bow of uh, a lot of those were men, you know, and, and, you know, this is going to be a hard change to make. But again, I just believe in living on your edges. You know, that's where the learning takes place. And I could have gone and built another company and built another product, a company and industry, 
I wasn't like, who gets the chance to build a movement? That is that yeah. is insanely mind blowing. Like the just the personal intellectual challenge of doing that was super appealing to me, and still is every day. About hmm, how are we going to enact this change and change behavior? Because that's a hard thing to do. But yeah, we do it every day. Every startup kind of goes and changes behavior. Um, well, I, again, I, I love just how intuitive it was to you that you needed to do this, maybe especially because people around you were saying, you know, this is a risk. Um, at the same time, it really does take, I think, a strong internal compass to look at people who are disagreeing with you and say, actually, like, I feel like the choice I'm making is right. Were there certain experiences you had earlier in life or certain things that you uh, learned early on that caused you to have that kind of courage? Um, I think my, you know, I was raised by, uh, my folks in a all girl household. So, and they were, and I think the influence that they had was that both of their, my grandmothers were both the breadwinners and both okay. of those in an era where that was not true. Yeah. So then my parents just raised me from day one to be like, well, you can do anything you want to do. Cause that's just the way the world works. So they kind of encouraged that type of risk-taking. I always loved risk-taking just in terms of this career. I, f- I fell into tech. It wasn't like, like I purposely like steered myself towards tech. I fell into tech and I just loved that experience of risk-taking. And I just think in my life, the things that I've gotten the most out of is when I am living on the edges, right? Like that's yeah. when you learn about yourself. That's when you make quantum leaps forward. And so I think there's only so much risk that any one individual can take at any one point in time in their life. But this was one that I just felt like, you know, I can go do, again, I can go do the same thing that I've done before, but this is a whole new set of challenges. And so that's what attracted me. I love that. I actually have, I think, a similar family situation when I was growing up as well. Although I I had a younger brother, so it wasn't an all-girls household. Um, My grandmothers on both sides were very um, strong women, Um, had very strong opinions, um, were often the breadwinners. Um, And so, yeah, I I definitely think it makes a difference when you have people in your life growing up that are role models, right? And for me, it was like, yeah, there's nobody else to mow the lawn, nobody else to shovel the driveway. <laughs> like everything is yours. There's nothing that you can't do. So up you go, up the ladder you go, or do whatever the chore is that you need to do. And just from there wasn't a chance to to be scared because they wasn't told that anything was scary. If that makes sense. Yes, definitely. I'd love to dig into All Raise itself as an organization uh, because it obviously has a mission that um, I think is super meaningful. So just to start out, how is All Raise funded um, and how do you convince people to donate? Sure. Um, we are a 501c3. We are a nonprofit. So we go out and we raise capital um, from people who are interested in this cause. And the great thing at this moment in time is that we are in a movement. We are not this is not a moment that's going to pass. Um, so we have great sponsors. So our sponsors are um, Pivotal Ventures. So uh, you know, Melinda Gates and recently doubling down on that or you know, awesome. uh, <laughs> what is it, trillying down on it with her $1 billion um, commitment. Um, we also have Emerson Collective. We have a, a variety of different folks um, on the national front. We have Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, we have... Um, JP Morgan, Bank of America, EY, who've all who are all mission aligned with us. These are organizations that have been working on this, 
issue for a really long time of gender diversity and are mm-hmm. doubling down and committing um, to working with us. And it's great because we look at every one of these sponsors, not just as somebody who's giving us money to do the, the work that we want to do, but they're truly partnering with us and bringing all kinds of resources to the table to make a meaningful impact, lending their expertise, their networks, um, everything that they have to bring to the table. So it's fascinating to me that it's not just give us money and we'll go do our thing, but it's truly a partnership working with these organizations. That's awesome. It sounds like they're really aligned with you on your mission and what needs to happen. So, so when you're out there, um, convincing, say like a new funding partner, um, why they should really invest in you or donate, um, what's the pitch that you give? Yeah, we talk about the fact that this is, uh, you know, it was a call for action that has become a movement and that, the tech industry needs to change. All the all the data suggests that um, diversity around the table will drive better results, and that given the far-reaching impact of tech, um, that tech touches everything that we do in our lives now. And then when we do a follow the money, you know, who's earning the most money? Who's getting rich? What are the products and companies that they're investing in? What are the politics that they're supporting? What are the policies that they're making that there are tendrils throughout society that are going out? And so if you're if you're in the boat with us and you believe, as we do, that diversity of perspective, diversity of opinion, diversity of thought around the table is going to drive better results. And, and we take a capitalist approach to it. It's going to drive better results. It's not just going to like re-slice the pie. It's going to make the pie substantially bigger. We're leaving trillions of dollars on the table by not doing this. Um, so you, do you want to be part of that movement and where we're going and where we're headed as a society? And do you want to be part of driving that change? Um, then join, join us in the boat. And that is, you know, unanimously where people get excited because this isn't just about changing the face of tech. This is the tendrils, the impact that changing the face of tech has for us as a society. I love that. Um, you know, I've heard many economic arguments in favor of more diverse teams. For example, I think a lot of us have, you know, come to the understanding that uh, more diverse teams create um, more creative, innovative conversations. They uh, make decisions more effectively because different perspectives are shared. Um, but I actually heard another argument in favor of diversity on a podcast that I was listening to this past weekend on the weeds, uh, which I thought was fascinating. And the the argument was that you know we're at this point in America where our savings rates are very high. But the amount of investment that's going into productivity enhancements is actually at sort of an all-time low. And interestingly, you know, when you look at Silicon Valley, at least at this point in time, there's so much capital out there, right? Abundance right. of capital. Arguably, a fixed pool of companies available to invest in. And so there's an argument to be made that actually, and it was made on this podcast, that if you could tap into all the entrepreneurial talent across the country and the world, right? Regardless of um, their socioeconomic status or their gender or other variables that often make people less inclined to start companies, actually it could be a huge boon to the economy, right? And it would it would solve the problem of the shortage of entrepreneurial opportunities to invest in. I, I think that's where it's all going. I mean, we there are 
problems that need to be solved everywhere in the United States, everywhere in the world. And sometimes we're getting myopic here um, in Silicon Valley, looking at kind of our 1% problems. And so I think social impact investing in general, but investing elsewhere is going to be about solving these real world problems, these big, hairy, important problems that we can solve. And there's going to be a lot of money that's made and a betterment of everybody and lifting of all of society as a result of that. So I believe like I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're, we started in Silicon Valley, but we've recently expanded. We're in Boston, we're in LA, and then we're going to be moving into the Midwest next year in 2020 to pick up all the, what I call the greenfield opportunities for entrepreneurship and funding where capital dollars are going to be put to work. Um, and the smart investors are going there already. Yeah. Now, do you find that the needs of women in general are not invested in as much because there are fewer female founders and fewer female investors. And is there a way to measure that? Um, I think there's, you know, it's a nested issue. You're hitting on one aspect of it that, um, Venture has been a pattern recognition industry for a really long time. And so if you have kind of a monoculture around the table, you invest in monoculture ideas. Um, and when you bring diversity of perspective to the table, you can understand. So, you know, even if we look at some of the, the women who are in the spotlight right, right now, Katrina Lake, you know, she goes to pitch that idea a guy um, who's very wealthy, a, a white man is not going to recognize the value proposition that she's bringing to the table. And the conversation that she had is not surprising. Well, let me go ask my wife. And yeah. Then, yeah. You know, and is this and is this right for her? So there's an inability to kind of understand uh, what the investment opportunity is. And so that's when I think the diversity around the table becomes so important because you can identify other issues, you can identify other areas, you can tap into things that you don't know because you're not familiar with. I mean, we're, we have to be learning beings every day and we get in our comfort zones um, and we know what is familiar to us. But having that diversity perspective around the table is going to bring more investment in. And then I think there's just, you know, the biases that underlie all of this for women, for people of color. Um, there's all these inherent biases that we all bring to the table that are also blocking us from even if we could open up our lens and say, OK, I'm really interested in and um broadening my perspective of thought, we're bringing these inherent biases to the table. Definitely. Um, I'd love to talk about the kind of measurable impact um, that Allraise is making. And, um, you know, I, I think what's notable is that so many nonprofits are moving toward more metrics-oriented yeah. um, assessments of their, of their progress. And I saw on your website, you said, okay, um, from 15% to 25%, over the next five years, our goal is to significantly increase the percentage of venture capital going to companies with a female founder. And then um, from 9% to 18%, uh, that's over the next 10 years, our goal is to double the percentage of female partners at U.S. tech venture firms with a fund size of more than 25 yeah. million. These are, these are ambitious goals and also big commitments that you're making. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering, how do you th- think about like the role of metrics in your organization and how you hold yourself accountable to yeah. achieving them? Well, when, when I called ourselves a startup nonprofit in the very beginning, that's kind of where I met. We're, we're the startup ethos is in our blood, where we understand, we, we see a market opportunity, and how are we going to measure ourselves against that market opportunity? So data underlies everything that we do. We have a data team of 10 or 15 people wow. that constantly measure this. And, and partly it's because you can't fix what you don't know is broken. So we want to shine a spotlight on the fact that this remains a broken opportunity, and then to tie that to the economic value that's associated with it. Um, 
it's the right thing to do for women and minorities to get to get more seats at the table. Um, but we all do things every day that aren't good for us and that aren't the, necessarily the right thing to do. Um, but that focusing on the economics is one of the ways to motivate a lot of people to move. And so everything we do is kind of a cascaded OKR infrastructure around those two particular objectives. And to be aggressive, because now's the time. This is not the time to move the needle like slightly or to inch it up. It's to really be aggressive um, and to capitalize on the fact that there is change afoot and that society is changing and that the future is going to look different and be driven by diversity. And I do talk about all the time. We can we can wait for Gen Z to make it so because they are much more egalitarian um, than the generations that came before them. But I do always say, like, you know, if you put a cucumber in brine, it becomes a pickle. Right. (laughs) So I want to make sure that we are making tangible progress forward. We should not put on a future generation the responsibility to make this change. We have to own this change today. And some people will do that change because it's the right thing to do. Some people will do that change because it's the economically viable answer for their pocketbook. And I'm okay with either. In all honesty, um, I'm interested in the change. Love it. Now, I know you only joined as CEO earlier this year, so it's been a short period of time, but I'm curious to know if you have any success stories you can point to. Yes. Um, And, you know, I credit this is it's a movement. So it's not my success story so much as um, the power that we have behind this movement. So there are only six of us at headquarters right now, and we rely on a network of 150 and growing everyday volunteers. It is not light work, light volunteer work. This is show up for, this is your second job. This is your, your passion. This is your side hustle to come volunteer, um, at our organization. And so, uh, we have going back to the metrics on the venture side, we have moved the needle from 9% to 11%, um, which is great. Um, so we're, we're tracking towards our goal, um, but we're never complacent about what we're going to do. And, And we look at all kinds of different success stories there, but, but part of what we're doing is to try to break down the network that exists or hasn't ever existed or has been a closed network. And so to break that network open and I look at, you know, success stories like Karen Norman and Jess Lee um, from Upfront and Sequoia, never knowing of each other in the ecosystem, but never actually connecting. And that always becomes the connective network and the introduction conduit to get these two women together. And now they do joint investments together. Mm. Um, so they were able to take on the investment in the wing. Um, so that to me, that's a success story when these women are starting to do deals together. We do measure that at the kind of the sub-nested OKRs that we have for the organization is how many women are doing deals together, how many are getting deals done, um, how many are getting introduced to work with people that they haven't previously, how many men are now doing deals with women? Um, Because we know this is, we're not trying to create an all-female network um, that, that, you know, is the mirror image of what happened for men. On the founder side, we are running a series of boot camps. And my favorite success story is this woman I I literally just met. Um, She, her company is Tot Squad, and she went through our virtual boot camp, seed boot camp, um, in August. 
uh, in September, she got matched to her mentor. In early October, I met her and she said uh, her mentor had facilitated introductions to what we call deal flow network, which is a means to introduce women to investors. Um, she had 23 meetings set up almost overnight. Wow. Um, and I said, keep in touch with me. The next week, she keeps in touch with me by saying, I've gotten my first term sheet. I'm getting my second term sheet next week. And I suspect that I'll be done with my fundraising by September. So now clearly she's an amazing badass CEO. She was going to be a success no matter what happened. But what I look at that as a success metric is the compression that we got for her. What might have taken her six months to do on her own, we were able to compress that down and slam that down to two or three months. That's the excitement that I get where we are lowering those barriers, those extra hurdles that she's an entrepreneur. She has hurdles to cross. That's part of being an entrepreneur. But there's these extra ones for women um, and underrepresented minorities. And we're just kind of pulling those down and making it easier for her to achieve her goal. So that's when I say we're just rocket fuel. Like we're power. She is amazing. She has a great business idea. Um, amazing talent. She's a great leader, but we are empowering her to do what she does faster. Um, and so, you know, when I look at that, I apply that over time. I say, you know, any entrepreneur has some kind of shelf life. There's only so long that you can run on the ramen diet. And so if we compress that down so that she is successful faster, then we have succeeded. I really love how you're focused on metrics that are further down the funnel than simply what's the percentage of women in XYZ field. Now, I, I, um, I think there's always the risk that when women enter a field, even if they're in greater abundance than they were before, they may not be set up for success, right? You know, right. perhaps they're not getting the mentorship that they need either in the VC or the founder context. Perhaps they're not achieving the results that we would like them to achieve and that are on par with men. So it sounds like right. you're really focused, not just at the top of the funnel, but carrying I look through. consistently at the funnel on each side. I, I deem us successful if we are touching a woman from the time she starts in venture to the time she is an amazing, successful GP. And the same for a female founder. If we can touch her at the time she raises her pre-seed or her seed and see her through to her successful exit, we need to be supporting her every step of the way through that process. Because there's new hurdles. I mean, you, you knock down ones and that's just the nature of the game. There's just new proof points that you need to put on the board. So we just want to be supporting them at every step of the way. And we we don't have the luxury of focusing at one point of the, the funnel. I think, you know, Lena talks about the broken rung yeah. um, in their funnel. And so if we ignore, you know, people entering VC and just focus on the, the bottom of the funnel for the people who are being GPs, then we're going to miss, we're going to miss that 10 year objective. Now, I think it's um, super admirable to drive success for the women who are now in VC or founders. I think we would also hope that the fact that they're entering into these environments would cause the environments themselves to change too. Yes. So I'm curious to know whether you've seen the culture or the investment approaches of VC firms perhaps change as a result of the work that you're doing. Hard to tell. It's probably too early too for early. us to say, to say is, is it changing? Um, we certainly are doing the data studies that will track it, though. And that's getting back to, again, the data to show the longevity. Um, we certainly see more and more, you know, there, there's early signs of hope. <laughs> and there's early signs that impact is being made. More women are getting funded. More women are getting into venture at all levels of the pipeline. Um, so that indicates to me that in, in, we can have conversations that we could never have before um, that would have been, you know, dial back five, 10 years, we wouldn't be having some of these conversations. So change is afoot. Um, you know, are we done? 
no, like that, you know, the, we, we still have a lot of, we still have a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. Yeah. So given that this is a long-term endeavor, um, you know, sometimes I think about the impact a recession might have on the mix of uh, gender or race or, you know, other types of um, attributes within tech. Sometimes I think when people are under economic constraints, whether it's a lack of funding for their company, the need to let go headcount, um, there can be a risk that they deprioritize diversity because they might think, well, it's it's a nice to have and perhaps they, perhaps they don't think it's actually intimately tied with their economic success. Does that concern you at all that if we were to enter a recession, it might be harder to get this done? We look at it all the time, um, especially now as we're on the precipice of what is going to happen economically. The truth is in venture, for example, we just take the VC side. We've been at 11% before back in 2008 and then mm. 2009 hit and there was a last and first out it was a lifo aspect where a lot of women yeah. had been invited to the table were participating but they were some of the first people to leave um, the industry so we look at it all the time and that's why we want to make sure that we are providing guidance support and access to these women to make them sticky um, and to support them wherever they are in their process. So if we just take that on the, the venture side, we try to support deal flow network. So she has the best, she has this amazing deal flow. She's closing great business. She's going to stay. We focus on making sure she has connections to LPs because that is a power base within the, the firm and the organization. If she has relationships to LPs, she's going to stay because the next round that's going to be raised is going to be raised through the LPs. And so those relationships become incredibly important. Mm-hmm. So we look for how do we provide the stickiness so that we don't repeat the sins of the past or that what has happened in the past. Yeah. Now, on this end of the economic cycle, uh, you know, things are really hot right now, right? There's, again, like we talked about, abundance of capital. Um, but as we also mentioned, a limited number of hot companies that right, VCs want to fund. Um, do you find that there are certain ways that Allraise can help um, female VCs become more competitive in, you know, accessing those great deals and winning them? Yes. So that's we have this thing called deal flow network and we have something called cohorts. And so again, this is about venture is about it. It's a networking business. Who knows who, who are the hot people to invest in? Where does it matter? Um, and so we're constantly trying to work to make sure that we're getting the best deals in front of that women have access to the best deals, either because through fellow females or because they are connected to men as well and facilitating that kind of infrastructure and connective tissue that will support them. So there's a limited number. There are a limited number of deals at the same time. We know that there's untapped opportunity everywhere. So there's a limited number of deals and what's going on today. <laughs> but if you start to look at the pipeline um, earlier on, and we have done, you know, we are startup, we do TAM assessments, we look at what does the pipeline start to look like, even though there's kind of a dearth of A funding going on right now, there's a lot happening in C, there's a lot happening in A, that these are the next. And so we, we always say like, okay, some of these mega round deals are maybe swamping the boat in terms of where the investment dollars are going to, because it looks heavily skewed towards the back end. But the top of that funnel looks really good. It looks better and better every day for the opportunities to invest in. And people are getting more competitive and thinking about how to get more competitive and where to go geographically, where to go in different industries and carve out their niches. And we that's our goal is to support them and facilitating those introductions, those networks, getting that connective tissue going so that as opposed to being the first one out, she's the last one out. Love that. 
That's a great uh, note to, uh, to sort of segue into our ending on. So um, lots of folks in the audience who I'm sure are super inspired by your career path, uh, your message, the things that you're doing at All Raise. What final words of wisdom or advice would you have for people who want to be as brave as you? Um, you know, there's no time like the present to be brave. Um, there's never going to be, I always like an entrepreneurship to having a child or getting married or something like that. There's no perfect time to do it. The perfect time is when you have that feeling, when you have that idea, um, and to believe in yourself and to live on that edge, to go for that edge. Cause that is, I, I believe that is where the learning happens. Um, you know, we are all, we all live probably lower in our risk profile than we actually could tolerate. We can push ourselves harder. We can push ourselves more. And I think now more than ever, it sounds hard. You know, the, the stats make it sound hard, but more than ever, there's a support network out there that is looking for these incredible ideas and these incredible women and to invest and support them. And so there's no better time to go be brave than right now because you have an infrastructure around you that's going to support you. Love that. Be brave right now. (laughs) Don't wait. Thank you so much, Pam. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Be Brave series. If you want to hear more stories from influential heroes from around our community, be sure to check out www.bebravetogether.com. Until next time, this has been the Be Brave podcast series with your host, Allison Pickens. See you on the next one.